Howard, I was a little bit nervous when I came into the building today and saw that in the office. I had no clue what that was all about, but I just was, yeah, I was confused. I was confused. All right, welcome again. Happy Easter to you. My name is Alan Pittman. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I have the pri privilege and pleasure of serving as the senior pastor as well as one of the elders here. And like I said earlier, we are absolutely thrilled that you wor are worshiping with us today. And we would love for you to worship with us any Sunday uh, that you're available. Um, I do want to remind you of a couple of things that were said. Uh, first of all, if this is your church home, uh, we want to invite you to come to the uh, family celebration next Sunday at 5 p.m. We need everybody here to see and hear about what God is doing in our church family. If you're a guest, uh, I'd like to make two requests of you. And that is one, pick one of these up if you haven't already done so on your way out or pick up more than one copy. We'd love to share that with you as our gift. And then the second thing is the connection card that uh, Ricky mentioned a moment ago. As much or as little information as you'd like to give us, we'd like to have this so that we can just reach out to you this week and say thank you for coming. And uh, we won't spam you, bombard you, but we'd like to kind of give you a little update on what's going on in the life of the church. These are found in the chairs around you, in front of you. When you came in, uh, hopefully you picked up a worship guide. I know we might have run out. I don't know for sure. But if you picked one up, you'll notice on the back side here, there are notes where you can follow along with the sermon. And then to, uh, at the bottom, you'll see that next week we're jumping back into our series on the book of Acts. But today we are in Matthew uh, chapter 28. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn in uh, your Bible to Matthew 28. That's the first book of the New Testament, the last chapter of that book. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be some Bibles around you, near you, underneath a seat around you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at the house or you need one or know someone who needs one, take that with you. That, uh, that Bible will be a gift from us as well. Can you imagine what it must have been like in Jerusalem this weekend about 2,000 years ago? Can you imagine what it must have seemed like and felt like? You see, for the Jewish people, they were celebrating Passover, and because of that, there were tons of people in the city. And then it was on this weekend that God chose, you see, he chose this weekend. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus, but it was God's sovereign will that Jesus would be crucified. God chose this weekend to send his son to the cross to be crucified, that he would be our Passover lamb. Can you imagine what it was like that weekend? You see, Jesus had been leading his disciples for three, three and a half years. And one of his closest, one of the twelve, one of his apostles, Judas, would actually end up betraying him that weekend. And then Jesus would go on arrest, be, be put under arrest and go on trial. Uh, and trial could be put around quotes because it wasn't really a very just trial, but he was put on trial with religious leaders or authorities, and then he stood before the Roman governor by the name of Pilate. Th this governor didn't really think Jesus was guilty of anything that was worthy of him being killed, and he felt like he should be released, and, and yet he was swayed by the crowds, and the crowds began to chant and cheer about Jesus, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Can you imagine being in the city? After Jesus was beaten and mocked and spit upon and struck and whipped, he was then led out to be crucified. If, I'm sure all of us, even though you may not know all the details of what a crucifixion is about, I'm sure we all know what a crucifixion is, where a person is, is literally nailed, um, wrists and 
feet or ankles to a wooden beam across and it would make it difficult for them to stand up and get breath and they would suffer the pain of the, the, the nails but also they would basically end up suffocating. I can't imagine what that grueling death must have been like. Can you imagine being in the city that week? And then as Jesus was on the cross, which was a horrific experience, even more so was the reason he was there, and that was to suffer and die in our place, and therefore the wrath of God was placed on Jesus because our sins were placed on Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, as he suffered on the cross physically, he suffered under the wrath of God. And it describes that the darkness covered the land from noon until 3 o'clock as Jesus breathed his last. That's what the events of that weekend were as he suffered an agonizing death. And yet the significance of his death is found in many different places, one of which is found, I'm just going to read one verse out of the book of Matthew before we get to Matthew, and that is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I was chatting about that verse with some of my kids this week and the question is what is that verse all about and literally what takes place is that it's almost as if the, there's a word that's used that's called impute and, and it's basically saying kind of like this analogies break down but work with me on this one that Jesus in a sense put on a coat and that coat was all of the sins and the gravity of the sins of the world and he had the sins of the world put on him even though he was never a sinner and so he suffered the agony of the punishment for sin, which the punishment for sin, the wages of sin, is death. But the good news is, because he paid the price for us, if we place our faith and our trust in him, then he imputes something on us, and, and it's, his righteousness stays with him. Don't get me wrong, just like our sins stay with us. But like, there's a coat that comes and is placed on anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus, and even though we are not righteous of our own, doing we receive the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf and so Paul says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might be the righteousness of God thank God that Jesus paid that price for our sin you see the price of sin is death and Jesus paid it on our behalf he took our punishment for our sin so that he could be the sacrificial substitute. For years and years and thousands of years, the people of Israel had taken a lamb and they remembered the Passover and other festivals and sacrifices as well. And they said, this lamb will take the sins on our behalf and it will be killed on our behalf so that we then walk out free of our sin to live for God. And Jesus said, no more is that needed. I am the Passover lamb. So praise Jesus that he died in our place. He took our punishment. He is our sacrificial substitute. So what happened after his death? After his death, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And Matthew, as he recounts what took place, it says that he was put in that borrowed tomb 
of Joseph of Arimathea. You're like, how could it be borrowed? Like, if it's a tomb, how's it borrowed? Well, as it turns out with Jesus, it's borrowed because he doesn't need it any longer in three days. But as he's put in this tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew just says, okay. They took a giant stone and rolled that bad boy right in front of it. You see, the tombs that day would not be digging a hole six feet deep and putting a casket in and covering it with dirt. It'd be more like digging it out of the side of a hill, almost like a cave, and we'll close off that cave with a rock or a stone. And it says after that stone was placed there, it's a sad thought because the disciples think that's the end. And it says, and they went away. But praise Jesus, that's not the end of the story. I do want to read the account. I described it. Let's look at it together. Matthew 27, 62 through the end of the chapter. This is talking about the um, day after his death and burial. We pick up the story. The next day, which will be Saturday, the Sabbath, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, Sir, Remember, Pilate is the Roman governor. We remember how that imposter, Jesus, said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The religious leaders knew what Jesus had taught. Apparently the disciples momentarily forgot it. But the religious leaders knew it. They're like, he said he's going to raise in three days. They got scared. They got worried. They got anxious. And they're like, what if he really does it? Or what if the disciples come and try to make some kind of hoax out of this occasion? So it's quite interesting. If you know much about the Jewish tradition, the religious leaders did the unthinkable on the Sabbath day. Where should the religious leaders be on the Sabbath day? They should be at the temple or the synagogue, right? Where should they not be on the Sabbath day? They should not be at a Gentile's house. They should not be at the Roman authorities location and headquarters. But the religious leaders were so scared of what's taking place, they, instead of going to worship God, they go out of fear to the Roman, uh, Roman governor Pilate's house or headquarters to ask for tight security on the tomb. So it was secured with, by sealing it and placing a guard there. I want us to think of this fact real quick before we get to the main passage for today. It's quite interesting that their fear of what might take place caused them to take extra precautions, which in turn proves the resurrection of Jesus because they made it so tight, there's no other way to explain Jesus being missing other than something that God did with his resurrection. So if they'd left well enough alone and nobody was guarding it, maybe they could say, well, the disciples stole it. Well, they try to say that, but how could you say that when you've secured it in such a way that they have? Now, Let's look at the main text for today, which is Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. And now we're going to move to that first Easter morning. They don't call it Easter back then, of course. But on that first Sunday morning after Jesus' death and burial, it says, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. 
Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb where Jesus was laid. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go and quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I have told you. So the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. These 10 verses, full of action and full of repetition, where the story is told over and over again in different scenarios, right? Sunday was dawning. And so Mary and Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The last time they were there, look back at Matthew 27, verse 61. Matthew 27, 61 says this, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. That's a description of when Jesus was placed in the tomb. The Marys were there. They saw where Jesus was buried. So when they show up on Sunday morning, they're at the right address. They're not in the wrong place. They had been there, seen that, done that. They didn't get the t-shirt, but they're now there, and they're seeing where he had been and now where he was no longer. And then we have the dramatic entrance of the angel. There's an earthquake. The angel rolled back the giant stone. He sat on the stone. It describes his appearance and how dazzling and bright and brilliant he looked. It was pointing out the fact that he was a messenger from God. The guards, they saw all of this. They didn't want any part of it. No one talked to them, but it says they were in fear and trembling, and they were like dead men because of the thing taking place. And then we see that the angel turns to the women in verse 5. When he turns to the women in verse 5, the angel looks at them, knowing that they're startled and fearful as well, and he said, do not be afraid. I don't know about you, but if you were to have a dazzling angel, or if I was to have a dazzling angel in front of me, I would be pretty scared in the moment. And what the angel says is, don't be afraid. And the reason they don't have to be afraid is because he's coming with good news. There's nothing to be fearful of. That God is present, that Jesus is alive, and he wants to share this news with them. So the biggest reason they didn't have to be afraid was found also in verse 6. He is not here for he has risen as he said. The biggest reason you and I don't have to be afraid in life is because Jesus is alive. If we place our faith and our trust in him, then we have hope and we can have joy in the midst of difficulty. The angel then invites the women in to see that the grave is empty, to then go tell the disciples the good news. I'm throughout this going to just call them the Marys, okay? So then the Marys begin to run with the good news, and what happens? Lo and behold, Jesus appears before them. I love what Jesus says. Greetings, 
greetings. It's definitely familiar, warm, and receptive by those ladies. And then it says they do the natural thing. They cling to him. They hold on to him. And they worship him. Then Jesus repeats the message of the angel. Don't be afraid. Go tell my disciples they can join me in Galilee. Over the last few weeks, we've had a series of messages called Remember and Proclaim. Today, we're looking at the fact, and you'll see it there on your sermon notes, and you're like, oh my goodness, you're just now getting to your notes. It's okay. On the notes, the title says, Remember and Proclaim that Christ has risen. You and I are challenged to remember and proclaim that as well. So there's two things I want you to see here. Primary things I want you to see. The first one having to do with the word remember, and that is remembering begins with seeing. Remembering begins with seeing. Remember back in verse 6, you can look at it. In verse 6, the angel says he's risen just as he said. In other words, Jesus said it was going to happen, and so if we remember it, and we see that, then that's a good thing. And so he's pointing back to the past. A, a couple of weeks ago at church, I preached from the text of Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus said that he must suffer many things, that he must be killed and be raised on the third day. And then Jesus repeats that again in Matthew 17 and then again in Matthew 20. So he tells the disciples that at least three times. And now that he's raised, the, the angel says, remember, he's already told you. Remember, we started by reading that the religious leaders knew that Jesus had taught that. But yet, that morning, when the Marys showed up, they expected to see Jesus' body. They didn't expect to see it empty. But when they saw it, they remembered. And when we see Jesus, we can remember who he is. In these 10 verses, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, the English words see and behold, which there are three or four different Greek words that are used for those words in those 10 verses, but the words see and behold are listed 10 times. It's important for us to see all that's happening. In fact, in verse 3, the word see is used seven, uh, three times in verse 7 alone. When we see all this happened, we can remember what Jesus has said and done. Additionally, seeing what happened that day would help these ladies remember this event for the rest of their lives. Do you think they ever forgot that day? How sad it is that for us, uh, those of us who are Christians, it's almost as if we forget that Jesus is raised from the dead. It's like we take it for granted. It's like, oh, it's just another Easter. Ho-hum. No, Jesus is alive. That is something to shout about. He is alive. Some people might say, well, Mary was just at the wrong place. No, I said already. They saw that Jesus was buried there. They're not at the wrong place. Jesus was alive. He is alive. The angel then invites them in to see. Here's that word see again. Come in and see. See where he was laying. He's not there anymore. He invited them to come in and to see that the tomb was unoccupied. And then their eyes 
Not only did they see the grave was empty, they saw Jesus himself. Can you imagine the emotion that these ladies were through? They're like, ho-hum, we're going to go see about the body. We're sad that he's dead. Oh, you say he's not here? Oh, the grave is empty. Let's run and tell others. And then all of a sudden, how, how about that run? That was a beautiful run. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears before their eyes. I'm sure that even they knew it was true, they were like, this is incredible. They fall at his feet. They beheld him. They touched him. That's not seeing, but it's a form of seeing. They held on to him. He was there, bodily resurrection. He was literally with them. As we see all of these things in God's word, let's remember that remembering begins with seeing. When we see all this in God's word, help it to sink in and help us to remember the following truths about Jesus. Here are the truths about Jesus that we see in this text. Jesus Christ. Christ was dead. Christ was risen. And we also know that Christ will come again. Let's look at these truths a little bit closer. Because when we see these truths, we remember who God is, who Christ is. First, he died. He was crucified. He was laid in a tomb. The Marys were back at the tomb. They saw it. He was dead. He'd been laying right over there. But now he wasn't. Which points to the fact that he is risen. The only explanation for him not being in the tomb was that he was risen. The tomb was sealed. The stone was giant. It would have taken multiple people to move it. It was guarded. There was no way out other than Jesus was alive. And then Jesus showed up. The women saw him. They heard his voice. They touched him. Jesus is alive. And then something that's not directly taught in this text is hinted at it, but it's taught everywhere in, in the scripture, and that is that Jesus will come again. This passage does have a little bit of a hint, in my opinion, of that. Look down in verse 10. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, I'm alive, go tell my disciples, tell them to meet me in Galilee. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not Jesus coming back again. But there was an anticipation that the disciples would see him again. The good news, guys, is if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, he is coming again. He's coming again regardless. But he's coming again to take you and you will be with him and you will see him and adore him and worship him. So when we look at God's truth and we see it, we remember who he is. The tomb is empty. I shared with the people at the, at the I started to say graveside, it was not that. At the, at the uh, uh, what's that thing called? Sunrise service this morning. 30 plus years ago, not long after I met David, I was at, in Jerusalem. I've walked the streets. I've been there. They took us to two places, Jesus was not buried in two places, but they took us to two places that perhaps he might have been buried. Guess what? There's not a body in either one of those tombs. You can walk everywhere you want to in Jerusalem, you won't find the body of Jesus. Unless you're looking for the church, the body of Jesus, that's a different story, right? Jesus is alive. I've seen it with my eyes. I've seen that the tomb is empty. I've also seen it in my life when I said yes to Jesus and experienced salvation because Jesus is alive. My question for you this morning is one simple question as it pertains to remembering begins with seeing, and that is have you seen the empty tomb? 
You're like, dude, I haven't been to Jerusalem. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, have you seen it? Have you come to grips with it? Have you accepted it as the gospel truth? Do you understand that Jesus died for your sins, but he didn't stay dead? Praise Jesus, hallelujah, he was raised again. You see, we could walk through this and we could talk about, oh, it's a neat story of Easter. Maybe we can hunt some Easter egg hunt, eggs later. We can have a little ham. We can spend time with friends. We can get some family pictures taken today. No, guys, Easter is all about the empty tomb. This is pointless if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So have you seen that Jesus is alive, he is risen, and it changes everything. Never forget that truth. Scripture tells us in multiple places, beginning in the Old Testament, even beginning in Genesis in the garden, and all the way through all the craziness of the Old Testament in the book of Judges and various places in the prophets, all the way in the New Testament with the Gospels and the account of Jesus, the epistles that were written by Paul that described what took place, looking into Revelation, everywhere, on every page of Scripture, it points to the fact that our God is a holy, perfect God. He can have nothing to do with sin, and this sin separates us always from a holy, perfect God. You're like, hold up, dude. I don't know that I'd call myself a sinner. I just sometimes make mistakes and mess up. Nope, nope. All of us are sinners. Sin is rebellion against God, disobeying him, calling the shots, living as if we're boss and he is not. It is a blatant offense and rebellion to God. And don't feel special because 100% of us are sinners. And don't feel special because you're better than your next door neighbor because we're not comparing you to your next door neighbor. Don't say, well, I'm not an axe murderer. That's good. I'm glad you're not. <laughs> All of us are greedy. All of us are liars or have lied. Uh, maybe you don't like them, but all of us are greedy. All of us are liars. All of us have committed adultery. You're like, hold up, I'm not married. I haven't. What does Jesus say about adultery? If we look at a woman with lust, there's adultery. So all of us have experienced a wide range and variety of sin. Every last one of us are sinners. And the wages of our sin is death. But here's the amazing good news. It is called Jesus, the Son of God. God loved us so much that he sent his Son to die in our place taking the punishment for our sin that is eternal separation from God, and he took our place and our punishment. And it's good enough because not that he just died, but he was raised on the third day overcoming sin and death and the grave and our rebellion against God, and righteousness is available through Jesus and him alone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is not a way. He's not a suggested way. He is not one of many ways he is the way so my question is this have you seen the empty tomb have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus have you acknowledged to God I am a sinner in need of forgiveness and based on what Christ has done on my behalf I trust in him so not only is the seeing begin with sorry remembering begin with seeing let's look at the second point proclaiming we're talking about remembering and proclaiming proclaiming involves going and telling this passage shares the very first proclamation 
of the truth that Jesus is risen. Who did the angel announce it to? The Marys. Can I tell you how amazing it is? And listen to the whole statement. Don't turn me off with the first thing I'm saying. Can I tell you how amazing it is that he told a couple of women first? You're like, hold up, dude. Women are equal too. I get that. That's what I'm saying. In that culture, a woman could not testify in court because her testimony wasn't valid. She couldn't vouch for a single thing. A man would have to. And yet, our sovereign God, in his sovereignty, chose to reveal the truth that Jesus was alive, is alive, by telling a couple of women instead of telling a bunch of men. Tells us a couple of things. Number one, each person is equally created in the image of God and therefore in need of salvation through Jesus. And secondly, I think, this is just an aside for me, okay? I think he says... I'm going to prove my point because there's nobody in their right mind that's going to write down, and this was revealed to women. And it was revealed to women. They wouldn't have lied about something like that. That is just one of many things that points to the truth of the word of God. And here it is. He reveals to these women to marry and marry. And side note, who is left at the cross when Jesus is crucified apparently just about all the men ran away but the Marys were there at the cross who who was there when he was buried the Marys were there they were faithfully following Jesus God honored that by sharing this good news to them it's amazing so he shared the first proclamation of the truth that Jesus is risen to a couple of ladies by the name of Mary Angel tells them then to go and proclaim he is risen from the dead and to tell the disciples. Look with me at verse 8, their reaction. So they departed quickly. I'm going to look at those two words. They departed quickly. And what we see that from that is that proclaiming involves going. In fact, it usually involves going quickly. We must go tell others the good news that Jesus is alive. Looking at some friends over here and over here that are part of a sending organization, mobilizing organization that seeks to send missionaries around the planet to tell others about Jesus. And going literally means going other places. And it also means getting up and going across the street. It also means getting up and going to the campus where there's people from other cultures. It also maybe even means this morning when church dismisses, that's what I'm looking for, going across the room and introducing yourself to someone. Proclaiming the gospel, the truth of Jesus being alive, involves going, and typically involves going quickly. Look at verse 8. After it says they departed quickly, it says they went with great, with fear and great joy. Can you imagine being in these ladies' shoes? They had fear, which is a reverent, holy, respectful fear of the circumstance and situation. An angel appeared before them, and then pretty soon Jesus is going to. They had, they had fear, yet they also had great joy because their lives had been radically altered and changed because of the good news of Jesus Christ being alive. Guys, when we go and proclaim, it involves going, and it also involves fear or reverence or respect and great joy. 
You and I are not used, if you're a used car salesman, please don't take this out, sounds. We're not used car salesmen. We're not insurance men. We are people that are not trying to, and by the way, Kevin, I know you don't do that, but we're not just, we're not just trying to make a sale. It's a thing we genuinely have been changed by. Jesus saved my life, therefore there should be great joy to go tell others about it. You're like, Alan, I don't have a seminary degree. I don't care. Study God's word, get to know him better, become intimate and abide in him, yes, but begin proclaiming the gospel right now in the here and now and share what you do know. And when someone asks you a question, you go, you know what? I don't know that answer. Let's study it together. How cool is that? Study the word with your friends that you share the gospel with. All right, I'm running out of time. The last thing in verse 8. They ran to tell the disciples. We should be excited, ready, anxious to go tell others and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. You see, he told them to go and tell the disciples. And then a few verses later, whenever he gets ready to ascend into heaven, which was a few days later, but it's written just a few verses later. Let's look at it together. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. These words were spoken literally to his disciples that were there with him, but they're also spoken to you and I. These are our marching orders as well. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, there's that word go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Don't miss that. All nations, all peoples, of all languages, of all tribes, of all people groups. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are going in the authority of Jesus Christ to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to others, to all people, in order that they might understand who he is, receive him as their Savior, be baptized, and then begin to walk in the truth of God's word. So I got a question for us. And that is, are you proclaiming the good news to others? So just to refresh your memory, I've got two questions today. The first one was, have you seen the empty tomb? Has your life been changed? Have you said yes to Jesus Christ based on the price that he paid and his resurrection as well? Do you know Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? And then secondarily, right along with that, if you do, are you proclaiming the good news to others? I want to encourage everybody to grab this, whether you use it or not. Grab a connect card, look at it. And on the bottom of it, or actually in the middle of it on that first side, it says grow. I want to know more about being a Christian. I want to know more about being baptized. It has other things like information about becoming a member, serving somewhere. The backside has how we can pray for you. But there's a way, is what I'm saying, on one of the sides of these cards for you to mark any kind of spiritual decision. In just a moment, after the first song, during the second song, we're going to pass some offering plates. If you're a guest, don't feel need to put anything in there unless you choose to put this. If you, anyone did come prepared to give, they can do that. But let's use this card, whether you're a guest or not, to indicate any spiritual decisions you're making giving us information, but more importantly, how can we pray for you in any spiritual decisions you're making? Here, here are things as it relates to spiritual decisions this morning. I said I had two questions for you. It, this next one's kind of similar, so I'm gonna, if you'll forgive me, I'll give you three, or maybe four in a minute. 
But those were the two overarching ones that will guide these next ones. Will you repent of your sin? Will you repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord today? I think there are at least three decisions that people could make today. Here's the first one. Here's the first one. You evaluate, where's the Lord moving in your life? The first one is this. Some of us this morning need to respond. We need to respond to what's been remembered and proclaimed today. The gospel has been shared. You need to trust in Jesus as your Savior. You need to answer the question, do I believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ, and will I place my faith and my trust in him? Some of us this morning, you need to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. You're like, I want to say yes to him. I don't really know what that means couple ways you can find out mark it on your card we'll get back with you very soon like tomorrow come and pray with me I'll talk to you ask someone you're sitting with we would love to tell you what it means to say yes to Jesus to turn from our sins in repentance and place our faith and our trust in Jesus there's a second decision some of us may need to make and that is that we need to reflect and remember that Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again in other words that should change how we live our lives. And some of us that are followers of Jesus are not living in light of the gospel. We're trying to work for our salvation and forgotten the gospel. We need to remember that he died, was buried, was raised, and will come again. We need to surrender our lives to the authority found in Jesus Christ. And so some of you are followers of Jesus who need to recommit yourself, re-surrender yourself to his authority in your life. And then some of us need to commit to proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I don't know where you are this morning. I do know that you chose, God brought you here to be in this place on Easter Sunday morning. Don't miss what Easter is all about. Easter is the fact that we are sinners. God sent his son to die and be raised again that our sins might be forgiven in order that we would be put in right standing with him. Would you say yes to that, and would you tell others about that as well? Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we thank you for an Easter Sunday to come and to worship you. We thank you that the Easter story is not simply a story. It's true. It's fact. It's reality, and it changes everything. Father, we thank you that it's based on what Christ has done on our behalf in his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we can be made right with you. And so, Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would pour out on this place, that lives would be changed, that we wouldn't walk out because we're ready to go eat lunch, but that we would first hear your voice and respond to you today to remember and proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive. Help us to walk in that truth. Father, I pray that your will would be done, that we would say yes to you, and that our lives would be radically altered in the lives of those that are around us. To you and to you alone be all glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you're able to, would you stand with us? You can use your connection card to make any spiritual decisions. You can come pray with me. You can pray at the altar. Let's respond as the Lord leads us this morning. Let's sing.